Hello and welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShot.net. Episode 17. Remove all union involvement from the Teaching Council. It's nearing the end of June at this time of recording uh, this podcast and it's coming up to the end of the school year. Uh, teachers are busy uh, doing their end of year reports and these days kids, um, not like in our day, kids now get to do their own little piece um, in their school report. It's a little bit of a self-reflection on their learning through the year. Uh, things like, you know, what am I good at? What can I improve on? What is my favourite part of my day? And so on. And uh, I was amused when I was checking over uh, a lot of the reports. Uh, lots of the children were saying their favourite part of the day, um, after all the effort we put in, is yard time. Now, if I'm honest, when I was in school, basically, it was my favourite part of the day too. And I kind of liked primary school, all right. But my favourite part of the day uh, was yard because that meant one thing, and that was soccer. I absolutely adored it um, all the way through primary school, almost all the way uh, through primary school, not quite all the way, because I guess when I discovered soccer um, in and around the end of first class, maybe the start of second class, um, I guess I, I I suppose there's only one way to put it. I, I was terrible. I was I was I was absolutely terrible. I was always asked to be picked um, and actually I was so bad. I was I was that bad that at one point um, the boys got together and, and gave me a job to be the referee for a while. Um, and there I was brandishing um, self-made yellow and red cards and no one really listened to me anyway. Um, that's how bad I was. But I was determined and um, I practiced uh, in my back garden uh, and in my front garden and kicking a ball against the garage door, kicking a ball against anything really and kept kicking and kicking for hours and hours a day. Um, And eventually, I suppose, uh, I found my position, uh, the position that I was decent at. After a while, I started getting okay, and I was no longer the last to be picked. Um, I was never going to be the first to be picked. But um, after a while, I found uh, I found the position that I was quite good at. And um, as in soccer, as I am in life, <laughs> my position was on the left wing. Um, and that's where I played on my school team and in the club team that I played for. Um, anyway, if you played soccer on yard when you were in primary school, um, maybe have a think back to the kids you played with when you were just kind of starting off uh, back in maybe when you're eight or so, seven or eight years old. Um, there was a there was a few kids out there, and there was always that kid. He was the one that owned the ball. The guy there was always the kid that owned the ball. The guy brought in the ball, and it was his ball. And if you owned the ball, as as everyone here will know, uh, who played soccer on yard in primary school, you make the rules. And there was always, there was always that one. Uh, that that there was always the rule basically that uh, if you had the ball, right? So you you own the ball. You, you got to have first pick of the team. So you always got to pick the best player. Um, if you didn't really want to be in goal, um, you you could say Bag's not the goalie um, first and you weren't the goalie. Or if you had to go and goal, for some reason it was flight keeper. And sometimes, you know, the, you might not even want that. So you, you might demand that it's last man back. And if a ball went over a jumper goalpost and, and he had it kicked it, it, it was it was clearly a goal. Um, but if he didn't, it wasn't a goal. 
And if he didn't agree with any of these rules, he, this guy, would take the ball off <laughs> and then there'd be no soccer. So protests from the rest of us had to be fairly tepid if we didn't, if we wanted to continue playing. Um, I mean, that kid was obviously a bit spoilt um, or maybe he just liked to be in control. And that was, of course, unless Arvine was there. Now, who's Arvine, I hear you ask? Well, Arvine was the best player uh, in our class and by default, he was the most respected kid. And I presume you all had one, um, probably maybe not called Arvine, but until Arvine joined our school, um, it was a kid called Fergus. He was the Arvine. But anyway, Arvine was really the guy in charge. And if the spoiled kid was about to take his ball away, he'd generally figure out how to, how to keep it going. Arvine knew his position well before the rest of the team uh, of our team figured that out. And while we all ran after the ball wherever it was when we were starting off, Arvine knew to stay in position. And that is something that we had to learn a little, so a little uh, later than he did. So anyway, why am I telling you? any of this about my days of eight-year-old football i i'm planning i suppose in this episode to try and use an analogy of a group of eight-year-old boys and girls playing soccer at break time to try and convince you that if i was the minister for education i would remove all union involvement from the teaching council but before we do that let's let's go back and have a look at the structure of the teaching council um, I think it's important for the purposes of this episode just to give a little bit of um, a bit of uh, grounding here, just to see where to see what it looks like. Um, the teaching council has thirty-seven members. There's thirty-seven people in the teaching council. People may not know that. I certainly did not know this uh, until researching this uh, episode. Eleven of them are primary school teachers. Nine of them are elected by us primary school teachers, and two of them are teacher union nominees. So you're, you, the union decides who they are. 11 of them are post-primary teachers and seven of them are elected and four are teacher union nominees. I don't know where the anomaly is there for some reason, but anyway. Two are nominated by Colleges of Education, fair enough. Two of them are, are specified third-level bodies, fair, I think, fair enough. I don't really know why that is. Four are nominated by school management, so two from primary and two from post-primary. Um, I'm not quite sure who the school management are, but I, I, I guess it's the joint management boards. Um, two are nominated by parents associations, probably the National Parents um, Council and the post-primary version of that. Um, again, I have no idea why I suppose I do in a way, but I don't really if we're supposed to be self-regulating. And five are nominated by the Minister for Education and Skills, including one representing each of IBEC and the ICTU, ICTU, another union uh, kind of thing. And I have no idea why business people need to be in this. But anyway, they are the 37 people that are in charge of all the rules in the teaching council so when it's election time in 2020 so that's the next time there's going to be an election to uh change over um the teaching council we're going to have a look at all the people uh, i think what you should do is look at all the people who are going to go forward and more importantly who's behind them okay if they're union members so if the union are nominating them this is the interesting thing or if they are union members and they have the backing of the union they get they get some financial backing from the union. So you're going to see posters of them in your in your staff room. If you remember back to the last time there was a teacher, uh, teaching council election, you might have noticed there was quite a number of people that were up for nomination and you probably would have seen them in the staff room, but there probably would have been people that there weren't. And if they weren't, it was most likely that they weren't uh, running off 
I suppose a union ticket uh, for want of a better word uh, so they basically have to do all their own um, I suppose um, campaigning uh, on their own with no money and no uh, no backing from the UNTO which gave them obviously uh, the people that were backed by the UNTO uh, a huge advantage over those who weren't so of the 11 primary school teachers back then uh, who were nominated almost all of them were elected on the basis of having uh, of an INTO back ticket. Maybe not on that basis, but they certainly had an advantage and certainly that's how it worked out. I'm not quite sure what the number is, but I'd say of the 11, it's close enough to 11. So potentially, let's looking at the maths here, that the likelihood is so high that you will get elected from being on a union ticket, potentially 23 out of the 37 council members are directly linked to their union. So 11 of them at uh, primary level, 11 of them at post-primary level. And that 23rd one is that someone from the ICTU who is also a union person. So it's basically more than half the entire council. So more than half the entire council potentially is uh, going to be linked to a union. So the union really have 20, up to 23 of those seats. And I would hazard a guess that they'd get no less than, based on the way things work, no less than 19 or 20 of those seats. Now... Now that we know who's in the council, let's get back to the to the soccer pitch, back on the yard with our eight-year-old friends, where I'm going to try and see if I can use it as an analogy to try and examine who is who in the story of the makeup of the teaching council through this uh, little analogy. But before I go on, and I suppose I, 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 I'm going to have to say, uh, this probably says something that I feel <laughs> I kind of have to do it Um uh, which probably says something as well. I want to set a precursor that this episode is a critique of systems. It is not a criticism of any particular person. It's not a criticism of any particular people. It is a critique of a system. And that's, I need to say that. I, I know this is, it might seem um, bizarre to have to, to do that, but uh, I, I feel I do. So I've said it now. The Basically, the players in my eight-year-old football game are basically, they're the teachers, okay? We're in the zone now. Uh, we're, they're basically the teachers. They're ordinary people. They're ordinary kids on the pitch just trying to get on with playing the game. We're just trying to teach. And ultimately, all they really want to do is get on with it. And there isn't really much more to that that can be said. That's the players. That's us. However, there's our other characters on the pitch. And let's look at some scenarios as to see where they fit in. So we're going to look, first of all, at positions. I want to I want to go back to I me. Mean, I knew my position eventually. When once I figured out how to play soccer, I knew that I was going to be playing on the left wing, and I knew and I know what I'm supposed to do there. My job, if I'm a left winger really, or maybe it was back in that day anyway, was to run very fast, and I was really more so to be the provider of goals. I would cross the ball in, and or I would play a short pass into the middle. Um, And basically that was my job. And in order for me to get good at doing that, I spent hours every day as a child curling balls around the pillar at the gate of my house, running up the park and crossing the ball with my left foot to my friend and running and running and running and running and running. Now, I'm not even a left footer, but I got good by doing this. And I'm not saying I ever got brilliant, but once I knew what my position was, and I, I picked that position deliberately to get good at because nobody in my class for some reason was left-footed. Um, so I picked it thinking, well, at least, I mean, that's my way in, let's say. But anyway, once I found that position, that was it. And I played in my school football team all the way through school, all the way uh, in, in my club as well. Now, 
that character in uh, my story there, Arvine, he was also the same. He scored the goals and I mostly provided the ball for those goals. That was my job and he had his job. Now the odd time, uh, obviously that would change. He might be the provider for me or I might be the provider for him. That's called flexibility. The thing is, problems only begin, I believe, when you don't know your position, okay? And unfortunately, and this, uh, unfortunately, I believe the union as a body seem to have forgotten what their position is. And to be honest with you, most of the team, most of the players and normal players, we want them in goal. We want them in defence, at least. The union, their job is to defend teachers' pay and conditions. That's their best position. That, that I, would, I would argue that if they stayed, if they stayed the hell back in defence, I think we'd be doing a bit better. The union is supposed to defend us, right? That's, that's it. The problem is, though, wherever you look, they are trying to, it's almost like they're trying to be in every position. Like, let's, let's, let's check it out. Right, they, they basically also want to play the part of the provider, okay? So they, they, they want my job. They, well, no, they don't. They, they want to be the provider. And I suppose they want to be the provider with, uh, with CPD. And they run loads of CD, CPD courses on non-union related issues, like curriculum sort of stuff. And I don't quite really understand why the union need to do that. It's not really their position to provide us with CPD. Unless it's relating to union matters. They do do that too, I, 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 I'll grant you. Uh, providing um, lobbying, um, training and things like that. But the other thing is, they also want to write the rules of the game. They want to change the rules of soccer. Um, because they also have representatives on the curriculum developers, the NCCA, the guys that actually provide our curriculum. And yes... You know, they even want to be the referee because they want to have a huge representation on the teaching council. They've possibly over 50% of it. I, I imagine if they were that, they'd even try and get into the Department of Education and play for the other team. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's where I'm thinking. I mean, they don't know what their position is. And the trouble is, in soccer, you can't play in every position. It's impossible and it's confusing and it doesn't work. Now, I don't know if you remember when you were just learning how to play soccer, if you play soccer, I, I, I just, it doesn't matter what sport it is, but I, it, soccer was the one I played. Sometimes, um, now maybe you, maybe there was always this, there was always this weird time and it never, it didn't happen very regularly, but it certainly happened a couple of times. When you're very young, you're not, not great at concentrating and, you know, your mind drifts and sometimes you actually forgot what team you're playing for. Because, you know, you didn't have, like these days, people wear bibs so they know what colour they're playing with. But we were just, we were just playing against each other. But sometimes you forgot who you were playing for. And you actually, and this, I don't know, this happened a couple of times. Uh, this kid might score a goal and go off celebrating, woo, and all this, really, really happy before. And then all of a sudden, the teammate, and then they can't understand why the teammates aren't cheering them on. Because, and then they tell you, um, you've actually scored in the wrong goal. Now, in fairness, I keep seeing this happening all the time with our union. I, I, they're that, they're that, they're usually not the eight-year-old kid, they're the six-year-old kid who's only starting off, he hasn't a clue what he's doing. Like, look at pay equality. The PSA, uh, the PSSA deal that just went by, like, the union were kind of doing Robbie Keane's somersaults um, when, when they got the last deal until the rest of us had to tell them, you actually haven't scored a goal here. Um, you know, that we haven't got a pay equality. And then the infamous recent 2019 congress where they declared they'd sorry yeah actually we didn't score the goal uh, the last time well we kind of did well now we finally scored the goal because we've got a definite pathway to pay equality and again the team had to point out again sorry you hit the side netting at the very best 
Anyway, go, and also going back to partial restorations as opposed to responsibility, the, TR, the, the players had to curtail the celebrations. When it was clear again, they hadn't scored the goal. They only got partial restoration. I don't even know if there's an equivalent in soccer. If it was GAA, it was a point rather than a goal maybe. Um, but um, anyway, they maybe we got a corner kick or something and they, they were celebrating that. And God help you if you criticize anything because if you actually point out these things to the union they'll actually remind you of the goals they actually scored before you even started playing i find that i find that's quite a common thing actually they might even explain that soccer is actually a very very long game and you have to take a few defeats before you get a win um and and the team tend to point out to other teams higher in the league like train drivers for example in gardi and so on who seem to be able to get wins without too many defeats Anyway, I'm probably taking this analogy too broadly with that one. Sorry, I'll, I'll come back. I'll come back maybe. Ultimately, the union need to stick to what they do best. And that is defend, defend, defend. Defend against the other team, whatever that team might be. Whether it's the Department of Education trying to launch another initiative on us. Whether it's the teaching council trying to throw drihid at us. Whether it's the patron bodies, I don't know, imposing whatever values the uh, patron bodies uh, uh, throw upon us that may go against equality. Whether it's management bodies trying to, uh, trying to increase administrative wor uh, work or whatever it might be. They need to be there to defend against all that sort of stuff. Whoever it might be, wherever it may come from and for the purposes of this episode we're actually just going to focus on the teaching council rather than those other bodies but it could apply to any committee or any organization that the union seem to have decided to try and be part of or try and control and as i said the teaching council in this analogy are really the referee they impose the rules of our game now and this is something that we decided upon um rightly or wrongly back in the day where we decided we were going to be a self-regulating uh, sort of um group and they but they do have to be somewhat independent of the team's playing so the teaching council have to be impartial when they're making decisions around uh, the the teachers that they are working with now soccer referees don't necessarily have to be former soccer players they just need to know how the game works however it is also okay for them to be former soccer players too so you can have teachers on the teaching council i have no problem with that they just have to be independent and they have to leave their loyalties at the door and that's where i find unions find themselves in a very very troubling position because they're trying to be both the referee and a defender at the same time so as a referee they're implementing the rules and the council actually relies on that support for the rule to happen in the first place, given that they make up the majority of the council. Um, so whenever a rule, a ru uh, the teaching council wants to make a rule, it has to be voted in by the members, the 37 members of the teaching council. And because they generally will have more than 50% of the positions on the teaching council, ultimately, those that, that for that rule to even get to the get get to the outside, it has to be supported by the unions. So basically then after that the union also have to have a role in defending against the rule that they've already half of them have already voted in so effectively if the council make a decision it potentially doesn't get voted in if the union isn't already behind it if that makes sense so it's it's rather confusing um the easy example here i suppose just to try and highlight it though is drihid and yes, I know this is the second week in a row that Drihid has come up. I'm kind of surprised that it hadn't come up until last week because I'm obsessed by the whole thing. But, you know, I'm going to do a full episode about it in the future. But just uh, for, for people that might be might not be familiar with it. Uh, basically, Drihid is, is something that um, came, came about um, a number of years ago where 
basically because we're a self-regulating profession that newly qualified teachers were going to be um, inducted uh, that's the wording they use uh, or evaluated or dipped as teachers might uh, might be more familiar with by their colleagues now originally principals were going to be the ones um being the gatekeepers to NQTs coming into profession because the inspectors decided they were too busy to do it. But anyway, that aside, it's all been um, fiddled around with. But even at the last fiddling around with it, 90% of teachers were against it. Okay? And um, they're, uh, and I, I'll come back to that. But for some reason, the union really, really likes Strihid. Okay? Now, that's another problem. You're playing for two teams again. You know, because the union might like Strihid, but the people they represent hate it. 90% of them hate it. And... I mean, that's all fine. You know, you can you can kind of, um, you know, there's no problem playing for two teams in, in, the, in the world. I mean, you know, you can play for your club, you can play for, you know, another club, but there's no problem there at all if you can do that. But it's what happens when you play against each other. And that's where the INTO kind of found themselves in. We had a situation where almost all principals were against Drihid and almost all newly qualified teachers. I mean, obviously we're going to be for this it was much it's a much easier way of getting your dip as such uh, through this trade it's really easy in fact you you don't really have to do anything um well that's 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 not that's quite not quite true but you don't have to do much less uh, to get get through your first year if you're doing drihid as opposed to doing the inspector model and again i'm not saying the inspector model is good we'll leave that till another episode but basically what the INTO are supposed to do is they have to represent both principles and NQTs but when they're against each other as they would have been with Drihid, this becomes a problem. And Drihid is really good for teachers. It's a really good thing, as I said, for NQTs. It's an easy route into probation. There's no inspection. There's no evaluation. However, Drihid is very bad for school leaders because they have absolutely no way to stop poor players from getting from getting permanent contracts, basically, or getting basically getting through the year and not being dropped from the team. Their contract remains um from in, in a footballing sense basically so effectively that's kind of like your soccer manager getting in a player um he isn't performing he's um he's quite poor but you can't get rid of him there's nothing you can do about it um because you know tough luck because uh, and and that's that's a big problem for um for for education i think in general now the teaching council love it and the union love it so when it came into voting in the teaching uh, at the teaching council level it was obviously passed because the people who are in the teaching council were both on the same team in a way. The, the referee was uh, happy with the rule. The union supported. So the people that were uh, voted in by the union loved it. In the majority of the case. So therefore, it was passed at teaching council level. And it was about to be imposed upon us when an emergency motion from members forced the union to ask members to vote um, on it um, because... A lot, there was a lot of pressure basically from, from members to say, look, we, we, we can't do trade. It's, it's a terrible idea. Um, so the union said, OK, fine, we'll put it out to vote for members. We think it's great. And 90% said no. Um, and then all of a sudden, rather than playing for the team and the teaching council, the union now had to play for the team. Now, the teaching council obviously weren't happy because the union had obviously said, yeah, yeah, this sounds great. Um, and as a referee, um, they said, OK, well, we'll tweak the rules a little bit. Um, and then the directive, just so the directive would be lifted. And so it was. And again, the teachers weren't happy still because the tweaking was terrible. So um, at the, the tweak basically was uh, at the, before the tweak, um, uh, teachers had to evaluate their, their colleagues. And then after the tweak, they didn't have to evaluate their colleagues. Um, it still didn't make much of a difference. It's still a terrible idea. Um, 
But rather than having another vote, of course, the union learned um, learned their lesson from asking the, all the members to vote. What they did was they decided to bring, bring their friends together for a special congress. Yes, like that spoiled child on yard, they took the ball away from the team and only let their friends play the game, while the majority of us were left out of the game completely. And these events represent why the union really can't be part of the teaching council. This mess was partially because the union had to act as both the enforcers and the defenders of the same thing. And it doesn't really matter what the initiative was, it was a com- but this was a good example of a complete mess. Now looking forward, um, the INCO clearly don't have an issue with Kusan, the compulsory CPD that seems to be coming down the line. Now right now there are enough union members in the teaching council to vote things down uh, on that um, until they may be convinced otherwise. But come 2020 the union are going to be looking for pro Kusan people um, to go up um, for teaching council membership. You can guarantee it. There, I, I can absolutely guarantee they've already probably identified the people they're going to be supporting for nomination. Now, while I'm not against Kusan myself, I recognise that most teachers are. And the union are going to find themselves um, in the same position they had with Drihid, in that the majority of teachers are not going to be in favour of Kusan. I mean, if you think Kusan's gone, just look at any headed paper from the teaching council that comes along and uh, you'll see Kusan is very, very much still there. Um, um, and basically we're going to have the same position where the majority of people are not going to be in favour of Kusan, the union are going to be in favour and they're going to bring their friends together again and lo and behold we'll be doing Kusan if the same thing happens unless uh, we stop it. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is that the union really need to get out of the teaching council and no matter what balls come to them, their first instinct should be to defend against them, whatever they may be. They should be constantly looking out for potential attacks, even those that might end up going nowhere and stop them before they become serious. The trouble is right now, because we all just want to play the game, we don't want to risk asking the union to stay in defence because they'll go off in a huff with the ball again. And that's that's really the centre to my, my, my argument. The re- they, they often complain. You often hear people in the union complaining, oh, well, you should show up to your meetings or you should, why don't you campaign? Why you are the union, etc., etc. But the reason we don't want to is because any time we do, they go off with the ball and give out and tell us we're being negative or whatever it might be. And they go off playing with their friends anyway. We've, there's no faith left in them. So what you do is you just try and get on with your job and hope there isn't too much damage. So basically, anyway, I, what, what should we do? I mean, that's my complaint. What should happen? Well, it's absolutely fine for the teaching council to contain 11 primary school teachers. I have no problem with that. It is a self-regulating um, profession. The union should have no interference whatsoever in the campaign or their appointment or the selection, or anything at all really. The union should be on the outside of the teaching council, awaiting any rules that might be inflicted on the game, and their job is to stop them, defend against them. They're more than welcome to take the ball and go off the pitch if the new rules are not in the full team's best interest. We kind of learn, as we get older, that if the referee makes a decision and we don't like it, we might have to suck it up. But let's say there's an outrageous decision. <laughs> I think it's okay to take the ball off the pitch. I mean, perfectly honest. The person you want to be your union um, is Arvine. It's been quite 
some time since we've seen evidence of an Arvine in our union. It is over a decade since benchmarking was awarded to principals and there is absolutely no sign of payment. It's been over eight years since the scandal of pay inequality and there are still over half of posts of responsibilities still to be restored. Capitation grants are still well shy of where they need to be and I could go on and on and on with this. In summary, the INCO really need to remember what their position is on the team. They need to let the CPD providers provide the CPD in their position. They need to let the curriculum developers develop the curriculum and stay in that position. They need to let the referee to do his job and stop getting involved in his decisions. All the INCO needs to do is defend, defend and defend and just get better and better at doing it. When it comes to the teaching council, they don't need to be in two positions. They don't need to be the referee and they don't need to be the defender. They just need to be the defender. And that's what I would do if I was a minister for education. On next week's show, um, roughly 20% of schools have special classes for children with autism. And more and more of them are opening every year. In fact, if you're looking at the newspapers around June 2019 when I'm recording this episode, there's a couple of um, there's a campaign to enforce schools to open special classes. However, you won't be surprised to hear that they're not properly funded or supported by the Department of Education. So simply put, the next time I'll be arguing that if I was a Minister for Education, I would ensure that classes for children with autism are properly supported. I hope you enjoyed this episode and be sure to tune in every Wednesday morning just in time for your midweek slump. It's almost sure to get your blood boiling uh, whether you agree with me or not. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify or any of the other uh, podcasting apps by searching for either on shot.net or if I was the minister or if I were the minister for education. I'd really, really appreciate it if you subscribe to our podcast so each new episode will be available to you immediately after its release. I'd also love it if if you could comment uh, on the podcast page uh, if you can or add any uh, or add any arguments against me i love to hear them please also free uh, feel free to review the podcast so others can find it more easily okay that's it for this week um just play well uh, on the pitch uh keep into position and we will see you next week thanks very much bye bye